Well, good morning, church. Thank you, Pastor Marlene, for reminding us that church is so much more than the gathering of the saints, that church is the voice of God in the world, the voice of hope for people who are hopeless, the news of the, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus and the investment that that resurrection is in our future. As we, uh, as we do stand here today, perhaps nearing the end of this pandemic, I hope, I hope we don't see some kind of rebirth of this later, but um, if so, God knows and God is going to be present there and we need not worry. He will see us through. But I am praying that this is the end of this thing, and I just want to remind you as we are beginning to open up things, one of the things that has, been, has finally been considered essential is church. And um, as of next week, we will, be, we will begin the process of opening up here at Grace Point. And just to, to remind you and let you know, we have to restrict the numbers, and so there'll be an Eventbrite invitation to you for, for that. Um, it'll be in our newsletter, it'll be an opportunity on our website, it'll be an opportunity in the app. We will try to get you that information in all the ways we can, but you will need to register for church service next week. And uh, those church services, we, we will start with one at 10 and one at noon, and we'll expand from there as those fill up. But uh, we do have to keep track of how many people are here according to the regulations and guidelines that have been laid in front of us. And we're going to cooperate and do what we can to be on the side of right, righteousness, and safety. So in all those things, we invite you. We hope you'll come. We plan on seeing you. We're looking really forward to seeing you. I am particularly interested in talking to people and not just seats next week. And so uh, next week, we'll look forward to seeing live people here in, in, our, in our church. Live stream will still go on, 10 o'clock, for those of you who are a little uncomfortable with that. And um, that will happen at 10 o'clock as usual. And some other changes, there'll be an announcement after the end of the service. Stay by for that. It'll clear up everything that I may have mixed you up on just now. So as we begin today, we are actually in a transition point in our story of, and our, our ongoing tale about the Apostle Paul. We have been talking about his life and the, the change that takes place at the beginning of his life. Um, he is, if you recall... Uh, been through quite a bit. Uh, in the last three sermons, we've taken him, taken him from the persecutor of the Christian church, uh, sort of the persecutor in chief, probably the best at it, the strongest at it, the most vigilant in it, to a person who is now um, having wa- walked through about three years of preparation off on a mission for God. So I, I just want to remind you a little bit about that process that he was in. Remember, he arrived at Damascus in order to capture Christians and haul them back to Jerusalem so that they might be prosecuted there. And in that process, on his arrival, just before he gets to the city of Damascus, I picture him coming down over the hills that separate Lebanon and Syria. And as he drops into that valley there before him is this beautiful city. The Greeks and the Romans have refurbished it. They have reset the city in those uh, markers in which Greeks and Romans build with straight streets that run through it. As Paul nears the gate of that city, a, b- a bright light shines upon him. He falls on his face. Jesus speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Those, those words, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, will echo through Paul's life for the rest of his life. This is the birth 
of the theologian of the New Testament church. This is the birth of the person who will transition Christianity from its Old Testament roots into its New Testament future. This is the moment when that transition takes place. It's a resetting of the compass. It's a redirecting of his path. He has no idea where he's going, but he knows he can't go back from whence he came. He rises from the door, from the floor, and he spends three days in darkness. Those next three days, I can only imagine the things going through his heart and his mind. Remembering the face of Stephen there in the darkness as that last glance, that peaceful face who is praying for his, his prosecutors and his persecutors that this sin will not be held against them as he closes his eyes and takes his last breath, pummeled by stones. As he contemplates the voice that he heard, Mercifully, Jesus starts to turn on the light, starts to give him a glimmer of what the future holds. And he has a vision during those dark three days of a man named Ananias who will come and lay his hands on him and heal him. At the end of those three days, Ananias, who's been given an equal kind of vision, comes walking down Straight Street, finds the house of a man named Judas. There are so many interesting parallels here with Jesus. Finds the house of a man named Judas. He walks in in front of these men who have come to capture him, in front of this man who has come to prosecute him, and he walks over saying, Jesus has sent me, lays his hands on him, heals him of his blindness, something like scales fall off his eyes, and he calls him Brother Saul. And born into the church in that moment is a new believer. The body recognizing what's just happened brings Paul together and baptizes him into the faith. He then begins to preach in Damascus. For a short while he preaches in Damascus then goes out to Arabia. Pastor Tim shared this with us last week, that after his Damascus experience, he goes out to Arabia. Um, if you want to think about Arabia, don't think everything in sand that goes from there out to the Arabian Gulf. Think of the, the east side of the Jordan River from Syria down in through the Negev till it touches the, 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 the Egyptian uh, borderline. That's the area of Arabia in, in Roman maps. And so Paul, somewhere in that, in that uh, map, somewhere on that structure from Syria down into the Negev, spends some time with God. Three years, God isolates him so that he can speak to him. I'll, I'll show you that in the text in just a minute. Three years, as Pastor Tim says, he spends in studying and praying and discovering what God has for him. The, the, the compass was to be reset. The initial heading he was given, you will preach to the Gentiles. The demonstration of the hows and the whys and the what comes during these three years. The apostle, having been filled during those three years, makes his way back to Damascus to preach. We find the telling of this story in Galatians chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be there in chapter 1. First, I'm just going to read verse 1, but then we'll be focusing on verses 11 through 17 for a few minutes. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle 
not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the, from the dead. This is Paul's favorite title for himself. Repeated very often at the beginning of his books, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul calls himself the apostle who comes too late. Paul calls himself an apostle born not of man, but born of God in Christ. Apostle is an interesting word. We use it simply as it relates to these people. But in the ancient text, in the, in the, the divining of what this word meant in the beginning, the word did not mean these 12 or 13 people. The word, in fact, apostle at this time, when they took it upon themselves, meant an emissary of somebody else, an emissary on behalf of another. You would be traveling as an apostle with, what would you, we would call it sort of, um, sort of the, the papers to sign documents, to agree to contracts, to negotiate on behalf of. You had sort of the power of attorney on behalf of someone else. An apostle was an emissary who went out, who was sent out on behalf of someone else. So when Paul takes this name on himself, when the other disciples take the name Apostle, they are declaring themselves to have been sent by God as emissaries of Jesus Christ with the message of the gospel. Paul says, I was chosen to be an apostle, not by man, not born in the right time, in the right place, not by interaction with Jesus during his lifetime on the earth. I was chosen as an emissary for God by God. And he takes this apostleship and wears it as a mantle of glory for the rest of his life. Something else you need to understand about this, this man and what happened to him in those three years. At some point in that time, in some point between Brother Saul being baptized in Damascus and his return, he takes on a new name. One simple letter changed. One small thing changed in the name. He was before Saul, the name that was given to the first king of Israel, a Benjaminite, which he was, a Benjamite would be very proud of this name. He was named after the first king of Israel. This was a big deal. This was a big king. This was the most fantastic thing that ever happened to a person from the tribe of Benjamin. And this guy has that name. His parents were proud of their heritage. He was proud of this name. And now, having traveled off into Arabia and returned, as Pastor Tim says, a transformed guy, he changes his name to reflect that transformation. Do you remember what Pastor Tim said last week? Remember he talked about the humility of this man, this newly gained humility of this man? The name means a tiny one, a small one, a humble one. The Apostle Paul is declaring himself a person of no reputation, a person humbled by Jesus, a person who no longer will exalt himself, but a person who is an emissary, small, but an emissary of a big thing. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the Galatians, begins to tell his story to them. 
Galatians chapter 11. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel which I proclaim, which is proclaimed by me, is not of human origin. The good news, translate the words, the good news that I proclaim is not from human beings. I didn't get it from humans. I didn't get it from people. He says, I did not receive it from human sources. Very important to Saul that we all understand. It's very important to Paul that the Galatians understand that what he has delivered to them did not come from human sources, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Get the picture. He is saying, what I am teaching, I did not get from myself. I did not get from anyone else. This that I teach, I received directly from Jesus. Very important. Because people in Galatia are turning away from the message Paul has taught. They're turning away to a gospel that is not a gospel at all. It's the old news, not the good news. It's the old news of works and self, self-drive. Ladder-climbing Christian Christianity was what they were selling, what they were being sold. And he says, no, that's not what this is about. The gospel I preached to you, I preached to you from Jesus. I didn't invent it. No one else taught it to me. I am preaching what Jesus revealed to me, and it was not a gospel. It was not an old news gospel. It, was, it is a new news gospel. It is a good news gospel that Jesus Christ died for mankind. And as a result of his death, we can be saved. As we turn to follow him, we can be transformed into his likeness. But all of those things, all of those responsibilities are his. And he gladly takes them so that we might be saved. He says, you have heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was destroying it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age. So I'm ahead for my age. For I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. Stop. On the road, just outside the gate of Damascus, a bright light shines in His face, falls to His ground, to the ground. And He recognizes that when God was pleased to reveal Jesus to him. When God was pleased to reveal Jesus to him, this moment took place. He recognized this moment, this this new compass heading in his life, this transitional moment that would be different, that would make everything after it different. He recognized in this moment that it was God-inspired. It was God-proclaimed. Because you see, People were teaching that old news gospel that that God was not pleased with people who were following Jesus in the way Paul declared, who had fallen on him to be covered by his grace, who had requested of God forgiveness and were, were given it, who weren't out sacrificing sheep so that they could be saved. They weren't cutting the necks for confessionals. They weren't doing any of the things that were set up before. This old news gospel was gone and a new news was here and it was inspired by God. God had sent Jesus to Saul. He recognized that that was what was going on. When God was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim among the Gentiles, stop again. 
that I might proclaim among the peoples of the world, not Israel. Israel has its own apostles. There are apostles to Israel. He said, but I'm not one of them. I was sent to the Gentiles. I was sent to the lost sheep beyond Israel. He always speaks in the synagogues. He always reaches out to the people in his own, in his own community first. But every time he enters a city, he also reaches out to the lost tribes who have never been followed by him. Because we have to recognize every person who ever took breath on the earth is a child of God. Every person who ever takes breath today on the earth is a child of God. Whether they declare it, whether they admit it, whether they're, con- they're, they're connected to it, it is a truth of their creation. I was sent to be apostle among the Gentiles. I did not confer with any human beings, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles. But I went away at once into Arabia. And afterwards, I returned to Damascus. So his picture, Damascus to Arabia, back to Damascus. Damascus is where his birth into spiritual life came to his new spiritual life began. His searching for how God wanted him to speak, his searching for what God wanted him to say, his searching for the motivations that would carry him forward for the rest of his life. Three years in the doing took him back to the place where he last knew God had touched him. Just just get that piece in your heart really quick before we move on. If you are wondering what God wants next from you, remember to go back to the place where you last knew God was leading you and wait. You see, Paul had been told to go into Damascus and he'd be told what to do. And he, he got that news from Ananias. He got that news from the believers there for a short while. And then he went out to confer with God about the rest of it. And he returned back to that place, that last place where God had announced himself. And now, having returned to Damascus, we know the stories. He preaches, and it's with such authority, and it's with such power, that they, it raises up a foment in the city of Damascus. And this time, he doesn't, end, he doesn't exit on his feet. He is lowered by, outside the city in a basket. Pastor Tim talked to you about that last week. I'm always amused by that sight. Here's the great Apostle Paul being lowered out of the window of some house down in a big basket to the ground so that he might run off into the night. This is the record of the birthing of the ministry and then of the minister. This is the record of the birthing of the minister and then of the ministry. In those years, we have this interesting layout. I'm going to take a tiny bit of liberty, if you will allow me, just that much. I think it took three minutes to change Saul's direction. So bear with me. How long would it take for him to be knocked to the ground, be on the ground, pleading with God, get up from the ground, be led into the city. It didn't take long, maybe three minutes to change the direction. Now, I, I have sailed a little bit, and I can tell you that a ship, when it's changing course, a boat, when it's changing course, there are a few things that have to happen. You have to, of course, change the, 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 the rudder's direction. When you twist the rudder, when you turn the rudder, it begins to turn the entire boat. When that rudder moves, there are adjustments to be made. 
If you're sailing, the sails have to be reset to the new winds and the new directions. Paul has the rudder moved in three minutes. Three minutes, that's all it would take for Jesus to say, you're persecuting me. And for him to realize he's been on the wrong team all this time. To realize that he wants to be on a different team. It took three days, three dark days. Don't be afraid of the dark. Three dark days in blindness. He, there, he was there for three days. In those three days, considering and concerning himself with what had been, looking forward to what God will reveal to him. So three minutes to change his direction. Three days to reset the sails. Three days for him to be brought into a new family. Three days for him to be birthed as a new believer. Three days in the darkness for him to focus on what God had for him. Three days of full attention, listening carefully with God, not eating, not drinking, just waiting for Ananias. Three days, no sights, only sounds. Three days, complete concentration. What do you want for me to do? What is my life to be next? Whatever you want, God, I'm in. Three days in the darkness and then resurrection. Three days in the darkness, hands laid on, eyes opened up, and he's reborn as a different guy. He's reborn in a different heart. He's reborn a Christian. He's reborn a member of the people he had come to prosecute and to persecute. Three days in the darkness, and there's a new past. There's three days in the darkness, and there's a different kind of faith. Three days in the darkness, and he's now a follower of Jesus. And three years to change his identity. Think about it for a minute in your own experience. If you were ever a non-believer, if you weren't, if you didn't grow up in the church. Now, I say this, I say that because I think some of those of you who grew up in the church have the great blessing of of not knowing when you were converted. I, I, I really I really don't like it when people say that they, they don't know when they were converted. They wish they had a conversion story. That is the greatest story in the history. You should thank your parents for that. If they put you in the face in front of Christian leaders and Christian people so that you were always a Christian thinker, you were always a person who believed there was a God and believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if there was never a moment when you had to be convinced that that story was true, when you, were, when you had to be converted into a new direction, if that never happened to you Praise God. Don't long for somebody else's tale of woe. That's craziness. Be glad for the, for the benefits and blessings that you had of a life that didn't wander into all of those messes with all of the, the, the memories and thoughts that you can't get rid of that are out there and you, Jesus alone will be able to wipe those away. If you are a person who was converted you know this moment. You know that you are transformed, given a new direction. Jesus comes into your life and suddenly you realize the old life isn't going to work anymore. You're going to have to go on a different path. You're going to have to get a different map. You're going to need to readjust the compass. You're going to have to find true north on your compass and really focus on this new direction. And you also know that it takes a while. As Pastor Tim said, he described in his own life, it took quite a while if you, didn't, if you missed last week, you want to go back and check and listen because 
as Tim was describing his own experience, how it, it took a while for God to set the, the path of the ministry going forward. It took Paul a while to figure this out. But I want you to go back to what he said at the beginning. I am apostle. I am an apostle, not of man, not because of men. I am apostle preaching a message that is from Jesus. He says, I didn't even go and talk to the disciples until after three years. I had gone to Damascus again, and then finally I went to Jerusalem and talked to the disciples. I didn't get this message from those guys. They didn't tell me anything. I didn't learn anything from them. I learned it from Jesus. I learned it from him personally. God revealed his character and revealed himself to me. Here's my point. Here's the the essence of what I want to say to you today. God is without question calling you to minister. God is without question calling you to minister. It may not be the kind of ministry that Pastor Marlene, Pastor Tim, or myself do where we work full-time in ministry that we are actually paid for. But everyone is called to ministry. That ministry may just be to the person who comes through your line while you're checking groceries. You ever notice that you pick a person in the grocery store? If you're a regular person in the grocery store, you go to the person you know who's nice. They may be a little slower, but they're nicer, and so you go to them. I have my favorite person at Winco's. When she's working, I make sure I go to her line. She talks, she's kind, she's nice. And as she's beeping my things through, she's actually pretty efficient too. But I would go if she weren't efficient because she ministers to me. In the few minutes that it might take for her to run my groceries through, the kindness that she shows ministers to me. If we recognize that ministry was a fact of all of our lives, it might change the way we do some things. God is without question calling, calling you to ministry. What I want to ask is, what's your transition point? Where are you right now, this moment, in terms of those transitions? It happens all the time. I, I have grandchildren. I know I only look like I'm 25, but I have grandchildren. I have six <coughs> and two in the oven. And I have the glory, the joy, the blessing of watching these little children grow. I have watched from their birth, and I have watched as they've grown. I have seen the transitions of their life. My youngest granddaughter has just learned to walk in the last few months. She's not very good at it. She stumbles, she falls, she climbs up on things, she falls down. She doesn't have great balance, but I've been watching the transition into walking. Her brother is just beginning to really talk. You have to be careful what you say around him because he tends to mimic what he hears. And those things that you say, you you start being careful because you know those little ears are taking it all in and sponging it to themselves and beginning to say things. And as he's beginning to talk, interesting and crazy things are being said. My next three grandsons, I call them three musketeers, they're just wonderful little wild men. Great adventurers in life. They chase and run around. And each of them is flowing through different transitions and different times. One-year-olds, three-year-olds, two-year-olds, four-year-olds, six-year-olds, nine-year-olds. All of them changing. None is in a greater transition than the two who haven't yet made their entrance 
Here's what I want to say to you about transitioning, about, about moving from one thing to another. Your intake determines your outcome. Your intake determines your outcome. Here's the deal. A baby inside its mother is developing. The intake of that child produces an outcome when that child is going to make himself visible. First, they'll be visible as a bump. Then they'll be visible as a basketball. And then who knows what happens after that. But what happens next is that baby's showing up. That baby's coming for sure. Because they've had all the intake they can manage in the place where they are found. Listen, they've had all the intake they can manage in the place where they currently exist. They've had all the intake they can manage in the place where they're currently working. And now they have to move from that into some other space. Birth is simply a transition from intake in this space that was warm and cozy and careful and a great place to grow up into the light. And when you come into the light, you have to do intake in a different way because a new outcome is yours. Paul was in transition. It took three years for it all to happen, for him to become, go from Saul to Paul, to go from the king of Benjamites to this humble man who would simply follow Jesus the rest of his life, wherever he led. You are in transition. You are growing. You are moving. If you are in intake space right now, God is moving you to another. You may not be ready for that transition yet. You may just be comfortable, but you know if you continue to intake there, if you continue to grow spiritually, if you continue to study, if you continue to be with those who will support that kind of of change in your life, a change is coming. God has a new ministry for you. A new ministry function, maybe within the same roles, within the same realm, he has a new ministry function for you. Maybe the first half of your life, you have been blessed by God to, 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 to earn and grow and to support others financially. But God wants your hands involved in some ministry. He doesn't want you just writing checks anymore. He wants you out there getting dirty, getting your fingers in the job. Maybe you've been the person who's been out on the front lines for a long time, and maybe God wants to transition you into training and teaching someone else. Maybe it's time for you to become the sage in the organization and train the others. But there is a transition in ministry for you. If you're in ministry, two things are true. God intends for you to stay as a minister. If you're not in ministry, another thing is true. God intends for you to get into ministry. If you're in ministry, He will move you along. He will transition you to something else. He always does. The apostle Paul, who had been the the killer Saul, he transitioned to a believer, he transitioned to a pastor, he transitioned to a different role. And in all of those transitions, in all of that, God kept feeding the baby to birth the child. He kept feeding the child to birth the man. And as he birthed the man, he kept feeding the man to transform the ministry. When he wanted to go somewhere, God spoke to him and said, go somewhere else. When people wrote him letters about his, his behaviors and his choices, and when people changed the way they were going to follow after Jesus, he wrote back. He visited their towns. He spoke to them personally and said, No, you can't go after a different kind of message because there is no different message. Paul went from evangelist to correcting pastor because that was the ministry transition that God had for him. Paul went from pastor to trainer of Timothy, the next generation of those who would minister after him. There is always a transition coming. 
keep feeding where you are until you can't fit there anymore and move on. Some of you are feeling it. Some of you know you're in there, that space right now. Know that birthing a new ministry and birthing a new minister is tough, uncomfortable, and messy. But out of it is the most glorious of outcomes. To know you are where God wants you to be is one of the most glorious possibilities of life. To know you are in the place God planted you is one of the most glorious experiences that a human ever gets an opportunity to participate. So I'm telling you, if you've learned nothing from these first few stories about Paul, we're going to get into some of his teachings and some of his discoveries. We're going to get into what Jesus revealed to him about the gospel. But if you've got nothing else in these first few stories about Paul, get this. God is calling you to ministry. And if you're in ministry, he's moving you to another level. Because that is always true. For all of us. Let's pray. Father God, it's with resistance that we change. We, I, struggle with the change that you lay out in front of me. When you ask me to grow, I like staying where I am. When you ask me to change, I like doing it the way I do. Father, I pray that you would move me. Lord, I pray the same for each one of us, everyone listening, everyone watching who is resisting what you want to do next. Father, I ask that you will inspire us with the story of this man who went from the man named after the king to the man called humble because you became a king. We give ourselves and our next move to you. In Jesus' name.